Mac Power Users, episode 568, Looking Toward 2021. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Yeah. Uh, I hope Santa was good to you. Yeah. Yeah, I was a good boy this year. Yeah. He came for my dog this year. Not for me, but he came Mm. for the dog. That's good. That's good. Yeah, our dog got a uh, a chew toy that looks kind of like a crazed cartoon raccoon okay and um i think it's probably gonna last like three weeks she gets very vicious with those sorts of things it's funny how dogs they know the toy for them they can whatever they do to them in the factory the smell or whatever Mm -hmm. you wrap a dog toy dog knows it yes agreed um well either way uh, this is the uh, end of the year episode today we're going to talk a little bit about what happened in 2020 and what we see coming forward in 2021 i'm Actually, looking forward to the shows. It's kind of a new tradition since you joined the Mac Power Users, and it's something I, I really like doing. Um, before we get started, because we are at the new year, uh, this is a little cross-promotion, I guess. Over on the Focus podcast, we partnered with the guys at New Year, N-E-U-Y-E-A-R, and they make these amazing kind of wall calendars where they put 12 months on a single sheet, and the layout is really great. And Mike and I did it deal with them where they they made a focused themed wall calendar and this year it is dry race which is really cool and uh, we talk about it on focus but i thought maybe the mac power users listeners might be interested too if you want to put a wall calendar up for 2021 uh of course the week starts on monday with our calendar you can dry race and i find it very useful uh, I, I having a, a big calendar on the wall is a good way to say no to things cuz you see how busy you are and i think that's <laughs> that's worth the price of admission i like that anyway we'll put a link in the show notes for that but we're here i think today to start talking about apple's 2020 what a year they had what yeah. a year yeah um they uh i feel like apple overperformed my expectations in 2020 maybe even if we hadn't had covid but with covid it's just kind of amazing how much stuff they did this year i feel the same way i mean if you look at this list of products they released or updated it would be a, a busy year no matter what and like many other companies almost every other large company for sure apple had to adjust to working from home and having their people spread out and Apple, by all accounts, is a very, within certain pockets, a very collaborative work environment. It's not collaborative in the sense that if you know something secret, <laughs> you can tell everybody, but yeah, internal to teams, very collaborative. And uh, I've heard firsthand that some of that has gone really well moving it virtually, and, and other teams seems like they've really, uh, just be, na- by nature of their work, it's harder to do remotely, but they had to adjust it to that like everybody. And we had James Thompson on this past year who has the famous story about, you know, them spoofing Steve Jobs, you know, so Mm -hmm. James could work in Scotland. And I I feel like, you know, Apple has just been a company that really preferred to have everybody in the same building. I mean, they built a spaceship, you know, for that Mm -hmm. reason. (laughs) And, you know, so this had to be kind of hard for them. But like, like you, I've talked to people inside the fruit company who seem to 
be pretty happy with things and thinking that even when this is all over, that maybe Apple will be a little more forgiving towards people who want to work remotely and, you know, they've got new, you know, new things in place. Right. Rather famously, Apple is a company that basically no matter the job, unless it's for a team that's already somewhere else. So like there's a team in Vancouver, a team in Seattle, there's a team on the East Coast. But yeah. if it's kind of a job that doesn't fall into those small categories, the first thing on the job listing is it is in California, right? You've got to move. And that does limit the talent and the the people that you can attract, right? And this is true for all big companies, not just Apple. But I think all of these companies are, are learning that, hey, we we can exist like this and some people will be here and some people won't be. And maybe some people will transition back and forth as needed. And it's all totally fine. We still got stuff out the door. Yeah. Another big change with Apple this year was WWDC. You know, the carnival ended. You know, we didn't have the thing where Apple takes over San Jose or a pocket of San Francisco for a week. Instead, it was all virtual this year. It, it was, you know, it was what February, March time when the pandemic sort of settled in. And WWC was uh, Apple's first big virtual event. And I felt that way then. And I feel that this way now. I think they did a really good job at virtualizing WWDC from my perspective as press, right? As, as, a, as a commentator. You know, yeah. I do think that a lot of developers did get their lab time, but that's but again, that's remote. And I know that no virtual conference can ever recreate the spontaneous meetings you have. You run into somebody in the street and go get a go get a coffee or a beer and then, you know, a new idea or company is born or whatever it may be. And that is just um a sad reality that that can't be replicated on the internet very easily. But short of that, I think this year's WBC being virtual and the press events that followed on, I think we're all fantastic. Yeah, I I mean, there's so many things to unpack with WWDC becoming virtual. I mean, uh, for so many years, it's been the gathering point of the Apple community. Um, developers, Apple, press, you know, mm -hmm. goofy podcasters, um, yes. all of us went to this one place. And having all of us in the same place for a week always led to good things. I mean, I I feel like the friendship you and I have growing out of meetings like that is why, you know, we're podcasting together. And so so that's kind of sad. And then you've got the flip side for Apple where it's this massive disturbance for their company to have their best engineers driving back and forth to some city um, and spending weeks, you know, prepping for a presentation. And it's people who don't normally give presentations, so it's not necessarily something they, they're looking forward to. And just all of the distraction in the company getting ready for this live event where from Apple's side, you've got to say that it was probably a lot easier for them to do it virtually. Mm -hmm. And um, I am very curious as to what the future holds. I mean, I could see them easily doing something where like once, you know, we've got COVID behind us more, they have some kind of live event, but not nearly the circus that we've had. I mean, it, it could be changed forever, really. Yeah, I'm very curious about that as well. Uh, I fully expect a virtual WWDC in 2021, but 
2022, you know, beyond, uh, I don't know. I, I, they were already moving in the direction of having all the session videos and documentation and everything basically up at the same time or, you know, the same day, at least. In the past, many moons ago, you'd have to, like, order DVDs and <laughs> you would be experiencing yeah. WBDC months later. And then for a while, they, they would be online, but they would be later. So they've gotten better at blending the virtual and the the physical events. I think some of this that they've changed can't be undone. I think that even if WBDC goes back to being in person, some things like the labs where a developer can take their application in and talk to whoever wrote that part of the system, like, hey, how does this work? I'm having trouble with this, whatever. That I think would be open to virtual people as well because there are people look wc is expensive it's a privilege to get to go every year i've been every year since 2013 and that is uh something that a lot of people can't swing for a bunch of different reasons and i think having it virtual definitely put developers who couldn't make the trip um gave them opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise so even if it returns to san jose in a couple of years i agree with you i think it will be fundamentally different somehow yeah and then kind of getting around to all the stuff apple shipped in 2020 and this is where it was kind of remarkable in my mind i mean uh, updates to all the major ios's you know ipad os got its first update since it was announced last year ios tv os Watch OS, Mac OS 11 Big Sur, which was not like a mail-it-in update this year. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah, big software stuff. And even things that were a little bit quieter, like we're going to talk in a little while about iPad OS in particular, even releases that were maybe a little bit quieter this year, they moved the ball forward on everything. And that's what we expect them to do. That's how That's the situation they've put themselves in. When you have these four OSs, iOS, iPadOS, tvOS, watchOS, which are all kind of share a lot of similar plumbing. But then you also have macOS, the fifth one that is quite a bit different. We expect them to move the ball forward on all of those every year. And this year really was no different. Yeah, I agree. And I do think that um, one of the reasons Apple was able to ship so much stuff this year was just their the way they work. I mean, they have this pipeline and, you know, we've all known that it takes years for them to get something to market. So a lot of the stuff that we saw this year was engineered, developed, and probably manufacturing was put in place before we got hit with an international pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it was just a question of, you know, having enough people to, you know, make, make the products. The development stuff was done. Part of me thinks that the, the results of COVID may be more apparent in future years of Apple products than present years. I agree. You know, things like the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro, we can talk about those specifically a little bit later in the year than they normally are, but they got them manufactured at scale roughly on time, which is probably a miracle and <laughs> the result of a lot of people's hard work, both at Apple and their manufacturing partners. But has this working from home for for now nine months, and it'll probably be over a year by the time you know sizable people are back in Apple Park. What does that mean for the iPhone 13, 14, 15? And I can't help but agree with you thinking that we may see evidence of that in future products. I don't think it's going to be like 
oh gosh, there's not a new iPhone <laughs> next year. It's yeah. not going to be that, right? But it may be that things are a little bit less ambitious than Apple had planned. Or it may be, I mean, we have this list of hardware products that released this year. It may be that some of this stuff doesn't get updated next year or the, the spacing is a little bit odd as they yeah. kind of get all their projects back on track. Yeah, like there'll be a new iPhone in 2021, but maybe it won't have some cool camera feature that they would have otherwise had time for. You know, you just don't know what it is and they'll never tell you. I was going to say, that's the beauty of Apple secrecy is that if this really takes place on like a, a big product, we'll just never know. <laughs> Another thing that um, that we got word of just late in this year is that it seems like Apple is ramping up their car project again. Oh, boy. And that makes me nervous, honestly. I mean, I feel like when they got their eyes off the ball the last time several years ago was when they were working on a car and building the spaceship campus. And it's like, can they walk and chew gum? I guess we'll find out. It sounds like they're into it. Um, but, you know, kind of getting back to the products released this year, we got an Apple Silicon Mac, which both you and I are just totally pumped about. And mm -hmm. we'll talk about more later in this show and, and probably throughout next year. Yeah. It's not um, going away anytime soon. <laughs> they got the iPhone 12 redesigned. You know, the new design on the iPhone came out this year. They they expanded the HomePod product line. I mean, Apple, I mean, I feel like a lot of the things that we were complaining about a year or two ago got fixed this year. Yeah, the, I think they did. And I think that even if you look at things like the iPad Air, or the Apple Watch SE, or the iPhone SE, which was the beginning of, of 2020, HomePod Mini, a lot of these new products represent maybe better value than their more expensive siblings. That's not true across the board. Some of the stuff is just too expensive. But on the whole, I think that Apple did a pretty good job at bringing more value into its products, even if the price didn't change. You know, something like the HomePod Mini is a fantastic deal compared to the big home pod. I think, you know, it doesn't sound as good, but it still sounds good and it's way less money. And Apple has been doing this more over the last couple of years. A lot. We saw a lot of it in 2020 and I'm hopeful looking forward that we see more of that, that we see more of, yeah, like keep pushing the, the iPhone pro and the pro max, like just go wild with the features you throw in that, but also have good options for people who, don't want to or can't spend a thousand dollars on a new phone. Now, now, speaking of value, price, consumer tech, um, let's just take a little side route. Apple released a new headphone. I think since we last were on microphone together, it's just a little thing called the AirPods Max that <laughs> costs more than the first car I ever bought, <laughs> weighing in at five hundred and fifty dollars. But it's okay because if you want the cable to plug the audio jack into your computer, that's only another $35. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Is that good news? Uh, but, you know, it's only for suckers, and two suckers making the show both bought a pair. So maybe we should talk about that just a little bit. And there's should. a lot of people in the forums asking uh, about it. We should talk about this. <laughs> you have a blog post up where you just go on and on about how much you love them. And they're, they're a Not very really. good product. I, I had some complaints too. Yeah. So, so, okay. So give us like the, the high level of, of what you think about this. 
Well, first of all, I have never been embarrassed to talk about purchases in my online as Max Sparky. Like I buy a new computer, I'll tell you guys, right? Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've ever like, do I really want to tell everyone I bought a pair of $500 headphones? (laughs) That's just so foreign to me. You know, I think the most I've ever spent on headphones is like a couple, a hundred bucks, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah. But either way, um, I bought a pair because, you know, there's a lot. I just wanted to try them, honestly. That's that's the bottom line. And uh, with me being downstairs in the middle of the house, the AirPods Pro have been great to, like, noise cancel people out. But they still talk to me because they can't see that I'm wearing them. And uh, these things, they clearly can see me, which is a, a hell of a justification for $500 cans. But um, I bought a pair, and I do really like them. They sound great. Um, I like that they're tied into the Apple ecosystem. Um, they're just, you know, I guess a very luxurious uh, spoiling process of buying yourself a really nice pair of headphones. They fit me great. I wear them a lot because I'm working in the middle of our house and I practice law there and I do prep stuff and and I I try to like keep the noise of the rest of the family out of my ears and they're great for that. Yeah, the the noise cancellation is the first active noise cancellation that I've used that hasn't made me feel bad, like feel nauseous. The AirPods Pro, I had that problem with. I've I've tried other, you know, Sony, other headphones. The AirPods Pro, for whatever reason, I can tolerate. Okay, that's good. Um, And the, you know, they sound, they're very home potty. That's how I described it somewhere else. Like they just sound... Like if the people who made HomePods made speakers, which is great. I love the way both of them sound. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I don't like is is the weight. It's not that they're not comfortable while you're sitting still, but for me, at least my experience was if I walked around with them or I turned to my head even, the weight was enough where they'd want to shift a little bit. And after a while, I felt like the clamping force on the sides of my head was a bit too much. And uh, so I actually didn't keep mine. You sent yours mil- back. I've yeah. milled mine back. Yeah. If yeah. I'm going to spend that much money, I want them to be comfortable for me to wear for extended periods, and these just weren't. Yeah. I must have a smaller head than you because they, they fit fine on me, and I wear them like four hours at a time. Yeah. So. My, head is, my head is massive, um, and I think I just think I'm particularly sensitive to this for whatever reason, but um, but they are they're a fantastic product if you've – want to spend $600 on a pair of headphones. Well, I mean, it, they're fantastic, but there's also some dumb stuff. Like, you know, and if you read online, you'll see everybody's complaining about, I, I guess you call it a cover. It's not really a case. <laughs> it's bad. Um, and honestly, I haven't used the, I've never used the cover. I took it out of the cover when I bought it. And the way I use them, I've got one of those hooks under my desk and I mm-hmm. just hang them on the hook. And then when I want to use them, I put them on. And then every couple of days I charge them. And that's, that's kind of the workflow for me. And I bought these with the intention of these are my desk headphones. You know, they are not going with me on an airplane. Uh, I do notice they do have a bit of their own inertia. Like if you snap your head around or something, which isn't true with a plastic pair of headphones, but that just kind of comes with the territory, something made out of, you know, stainless steel and aluminum, but it doesn't bother me. And uh, I, it really, that cable thing really kind of like, grinds me a bit it's like come on like you know really 
I mean, how much does that cable cost Apple to make? And you're charging me $550 for these headphones. I mean, I wish almost they had, let's say the cable cost 500 and let's say the cable cost $10. I wish they had just charged me $560 and sent me the cable rather than, you know, doing it. I haven't ordered the cable. I'm not doing so under protest. I still have my podcast headphones. I'm using those right now. But my AirPods Max are more comfortable on my head and they don't make my ears sore, which these do after I podcast for an hour and a half. So at some point, I'm going to break down and give Apple $35 under protest (laughs) so I can use those nice headphones when I podcast. But um, so I've got issues, but they sound great. And it is uh, definitely something nobody needs. Um, I told my wife, you don't have to buy me a Christmas present. Apparently, I bought my own this year. <laughs> and she just <laughs> laughed and said, okay. And um, But I, I do really like them, and they feel good. So I'm not sending them back. But like you, I was willing to send them back. Like if they made my ears sore, if they didn't sound great, I, I would have absolutely sent them back. But I like them. I got the silver pair. Yeah, the silver looks nice. Mine were the, the space gray. Um, but I think even like the blue and green look nice too. Yeah. I mean, my, my family was watching a musical in the next room and they were all singing along with it. And I had no idea. <laughs> and then I reached up and clicked the button and all of a sudden this cacophony of noise came through. And it's like, that is why I bought these. I mean, it is absolutely isolating for me. And that is awesome. Okay. Um, well, that was a little bit of a side trip, but yeah, okay. Apple did release the AirPods Max last year too. Yeah. <laughs> Just barely. I think a, a real common theme in Apple's releases this year was improvement of things, right? We started the year with the dreaded butterfly keyboard and it's all gone now, completely gone. And um, I think even things like the HomePod and the iPad Air becoming much more attractive, I think even that is improving uh, products that needed improving. Yeah. I mean, iPhone 12 redesign, Apple Silicon transition. Good Lord. Talk about improvement. Mm-hmm. The HomePod expansion. Um, I do think that the iPad Air is one of the unsung heroes of the past year. I mean, it raises the bar so high for an entry-level iPad that it makes me wonder about the future of iPad Pro. And, uh, I mean, they just, they, you know, where a few years ago it felt like they were, they were lost in their focus with cars and new campuses and everything, it feels like right now they're, like, on their game 100%. Yeah, I think so. And that, that does... Uh, that's a nice feeling after years where I feel like the Mac in particular was in the wilderness. Oh yeah, man. The Mac is like, it's like the thing now. Mm-hmm. Cooking with gas. Wow. I didn't know. I thought I was the only one that said stuff like that. <laughs> this episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by text expander. Go to textexpandercom slash LP slash podcast to get 20% off. We've got a link in the show notes, but Go there and let them know you heard about it, Mac Power Users, and get a discount on Text Expander. With Text Expander, get ahead of your productivity for the new year with the power of text automation. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. So say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. 
Better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, text expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text expander can be used on any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back in the new year to increase your productivity with text expander and show listeners get 20% off their first year. Now, Text Expander is the original sponsor of the Mac Power users. Both Steven and I are big fans, and I use it every day for all the things I do. Whenever something comes up with respect to the field guides that I sell, and there's a repeated customer question or whatever, I immediately create a Text Expander snippet for it. And I have a team account. I pay for myself and my virtual assistant. So we share that library. So no matter which one of us answers an email on a technical question for a customer, they always get the right information. Some of the responses include links. And if the links update, either one of us can update the link. The other one gets it automatically. It just automates text and i find in even a small company it just saves us so much time and makes sure that our customers get exactly the information they need uh, there's just so much you can do with text expander from making yourself your personal productivity better to your whole company and heading into the year is a great time to fix problems like that so check out text expander like i said earlier go to textexpander.com slash lp slash podcast to get to that website, let them know you heard it on Mac Power Users, and up your automation game into the new year with Text Expander. Thanks, Text Expander, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So a, a big theme of 2020 has been uh, working from home. A lot of people have found themselves in that situation for at least part of the year, and that brings with it a lot of changes. You've got to set up workspace and workflows that fit for you. And I know we've even seen that in the Bank Power Users community. A lot of stuff in the forums over the last year have been questions and posts and people sharing around this topic. And Mac sales are up because people are working from home. They want a good solid machine they can do their you know virtual meetings from and, and get their work done. Yeah, the Mac had a, a huge year, even if halfway through the year they announced a processor transition. Of course, most people don't know that or care about it, but it's it's sort of funny to us who do know. Like Intel Mac sold really well this quarter. I do think that that's partly a result of the bad keyboards reaching the um, popular culture. You know, mm -hmm. like they got into the mind of everybody. I mean, who was it? I think it was it Tycho Atiti who, when he won an Oscar or something, all he complained about was the Apple keyboards. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just like everybody, it just, it just reached the popular mind. And then the word starting to get out. Oh, wait, they fixed the keyboard and all these people are going to buy. At least that's my theory. Maybe I'm being um, too much of a conspiracy theorist, but I do think a lot of people were waiting to, uh, to update. And this year was the year. I know that as soon as they updated the keyboard in the MacBook Air, because my kids had really old Macs that barely worked. One of them had one that literally didn't work. She was working off an iPad. And the other one had a like the original MacBook Air, which was barely limping along. And I bought two of them. I mean, I spent a bunch of money on Macs this year because they needed them. They're both doing remote learning. And if we hadn't spent that money earlier in the year, I think they would have had a really hard time of it. A big part of this is video conferencing. I mean, I know I've got 
you know, four people in my house doing education remotely and it's all via Zoom or Teams or some combination thereof. And this is something, you know, thinking about what about working from home could stick in the future. I think video conferencing is one of those things and not just for work, but I know that like before this, I would never really FaceTime with my parents. And now we do that on a semi-regular basis. So I think even for like individual personal stuff, I can see video calls becoming more mainstream. Yeah, I, I was always a fan of video conferencing. I don't like going out if I don't have to. It just, you know, it's such a drag in your time. Like if I have a 30-minute meeting with a client and I go meet them, that's a three-hour investment of time. Or if I do it online, it's like a 45-minute investment of time. So it's just obvious the benefits of it. But I never had the the ability to drag people over the technology hurdle mm-hmm. to learn this stuff. Well, you may recall that when COVID first came in and we all got on lockdown for the first time, there was like a collective freak out among people that are not listeners of Mac power users about how to deal with all this stuff, right? I mean, you must have had a lot of calls, right? I did. I had a bunch of people, you know, clients, family, friends who were suddenly working from home and trying to figure out what what that even means, you know, and, and I think part of it was that I'm the Mac guy, but part of it was is, oh, you've worked from home for five years. <laughs> Tell me your ways. Yeah. Well, I have a bunch of lawyer friends that are used to going into an office and having two paralegal assistants and secretaries and all these people do all this stuff for them. And suddenly they were stuck at home and they were calling me losing their minds. But, mm-hmm. you know, so at this point, though, as we record this, all those people have figured it out. And they can see the benefits of it, too, and they don't have the hurdle anymore. So I, I do think this is going to change things going forward and, and and for the better in this small regard. I mean, it's been a horrible year. Don't get me wrong. But there are some things coming out of this that will be beneficial. I think so, too. What about you? Um, I was thinking as we look back at 2020, I mean, I always find that over the course of a year, I change workflows that I didn't expect to change. I'm sure a year from now I'll have the same stories, but um, what changed for you this year, whether it be this COVID or not? Because, I mean, you've always been kind of working at home, so I'm not sure it impacted you as much, but but what changed? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, like b- broad strokes, my general workflow really hasn't changed very much because of this. I mean, I've been working from home full time since the fall of 2015, so now over five years. And Relay has always been a virtual company, right? My partner is in the UK. We have people spread out all over the place. And we've, so we didn't have the deal like what you were sharing about some, some lawyer friends of yours of like, they're used to an office and this like physical infrastructure that helps things happen. We've never had that. And so that I was really grateful for that we didn't have to like figure out how to make our company work just because we were all working from home or working virtually. But uh, one thing that I have noticed in, in thinking about preparing for this episode is that the iPad Pro, it has never had a big footing in my daily work. But 
the ground that it had, it has lost. And I'm trying to think, really think through the reasons for this. And I've come up with a few of them. Uh, one before this, if I were to go work, you know, at my favorite coffee shop, for instance, which is, uh, around the corner from my house, I, I, and the before times would go up there maybe a couple of times a month and, you know, hang out for a few hours and work and maybe have a meeting and get some work done before or after that sort of thing. And I did take the iPad for that because I was like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to write or I'm going to do a very specific task and the iPad may be better suited for that sort of work for me. Uh, that obviously isn't, hasn't happened this year. Yeah. Um, and, but thinking more recently, I shared this back in October, I had surgery on my foot and it's now been uh, a little over eight weeks. The first three weeks of that, I, I was like bed bound, like could not get out of bed, um, doctor's orders. And so I had to figure out how to work from, you know, basically being stuck in bed or on the couch. And that meant the MacBook Pro for me and and not the iPad because there are so many things in my workflow that it's not that they're impossible on the iPad, but I much prefer them doing on the Mac for a bunch of different reasons. And and so the iPad, you know, it could have had this like moment to shine for me this year. And I reached for the MacBook Pro instead. And so now, you know, faced with this question, that's really a change for me. Not a drastic change because it was never a huge part of my toolkit, but definitely noticeable between now and a year ago. The iPad really is almost nowhere to be found in terms of when it's time to work. Yeah, we're going to cover in more power users today some of our resolutions, our tech resolutions going forward. And for me, I need to rethink the iPad and what it does in my life. And that's a direct result of the M1 Mac. Book. Yeah. I mean, and uh, because so many, the field, the playing field has been leveled in so many ways that it wasn't. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that in more power users today. But I had actually quite a few changes in my workflows as I started thinking about it. The biggest change really was kind of the emergence of this idea of contextual computing, which I keep teasing on the show. So we're just going to give it a show in the next month, maybe even next week. We'll see. I'm working on it now. Um, but just this idea of direct computing, like whatever device I'm in, I want to get from my idea of what I'm doing to what I'm doing immediately without anything in the middle. And it's a simple concept. And um, but it's something that can really change the way uh, you're productive. And I want to talk about that with the audience. So that was a big change this year, just kind of the way that emerged in my workflows. Um, another couple of things I was looking at, um, Fantastical took over entirely. I noticed recently I went to open up a calendar app, Fantastical. I typed CAL instead mm -hmm. and it opened the calendar app and the calendar app hasn't even been configured on my computer. I just don't <laughs> use it at all anymore. And I thought that kind of stood out for me. Um, in terms of the, uh, Email, you know, the the problem that never seems to get solved. Um, I'm that's in motion for me again today because I, I want going forward to do less email. I've got someone helping me, but a lot of the email doesn't get to her right away. So I'm I'm looking at that. That that's a habit that's in the course of changing right now this year. Uh another workflow change for me this year was just, you know, because of the pandemic, I got kicked out of my studio which required me to become way more intentional about when I do certain kinds of work. But 
I think I was able to actually turn that to my benefit ultimately. And, um, and I also got really deep into these personal knowledge management tools, as we talked about last week. And I'm continuing to fiddle with all of the tools in this mm-hmm. space. And, um, and that is fun. It's fun to talk about on the show. And it's fun to see the way these software developers are just all killing it with their development schedule. So I had a lot of different habit changes this year. Looking back, some of it was related to the pandemic. Some of it, I think, would have happened anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think people like us who like exploring tools and workflows, there's always going to be some element of turnover in, in how we work. It's just as we talked about last week, just the explosion of note-taking and knowledge management applications that we've seen, even in the last six months, can totally change the way that we manage some of that stuff. So I think you're right. Some of it was probably inevitable, pandemic or not. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pingdom. If you have a website, chances are it has things like registration forms, contact us pages, shopping carts, etc. If you have those things, then you need Pingdom because nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business for you. The good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. It'll alert you when cart checkout forms and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. You don't want to find out that your website is down when you get an an email from an angry customer or something on Twitter, or that's just not the way you should handle these things. You need a system to let you know the moment anything fails. Pingdom lets you customize how you're alerted when these things happen and even who is alerted depending on the severity of the outage. So if you have a larger IT organization, you can customize who gets told what. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest experience on your website as possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so let's talk about some things that we would like to see from Apple in 2021. This is the, the fun part of the episode. We get to yeah. tell Apple what we want. <laughs> it's not really predictions so much as wish lists mm-hmm. as I look through them. <laughs> but hey, we can do that, right? We can. All right, let's start with software. I'm going to sound like a broken record because I feel like anytime I have these conversations, I talk about the Mac OS release cycle. But my word, we don't need annual releases. I would love to see Apple take time and really shore up Mac OS. I think especially after the two years we've had where yeah. Catalina brought a lot of change 32-bit apps were dead, but they added a lot of the security stuff. Big Sur changed even more of the security stuff, like making the system volume read-only and like totally separate. All that stuff has caused a lot of headaches for a lot of users and a lot of uh, developers. Add on top of that, new UI, right? There's still definitely some polish that could be extended to parts of Big Sur's interface. And I'd like to see Apple take some time on those things as opposed to just ramming forward with new features 
that match iOS and iPadOS. I don't know how they strike that balance. I mean, I get the reason they do things the way they do, but I think that overall, a little more time on some of these things would be would be welcomed by lots of people. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they need, like, you've heard the TikTok, you know, I think they started that with Intel, where they have a big change, and then they have they spend a year kind of fixing things. With, with Mac OS, I would like, like, TikTok talk. You know, I'd like mm-hmm. a couple years of, like, put a fire team on the user interface and look at where people are having trouble and start tweaking it. I don't think, you know, I don't want them to wind it back to what it was before. You know, we are where we are. But now that it's in the hands of users, there are problems that need to get fixed, and I think they could spend time on that. Um, and with like Stephen, I agree. I I don't think they need to concentrate on big new features right now. Is just to just make it rock solid. You know, I mean, with this transition to M one, you have every motivation to do that because you don't want your users blaming Apple Silicon for problems that are really based in the operating system, and that that is already happening. Yeah, that's that's totally right. I mean, something as simple as installing um, Audio Hijack, you know, by our friends at Rogue Amoeba, an application you and I are both running right now. So they have this part of the application called the Audio Capture Engine. A bunch of Rogue Amoeba apps use it. It is not a kernel extension. Kernel extensions are being deprecated in macOS. Audio Hijack is not using kernel extensions. But to get it to work on macOS 11 Big Sur, you have to jump through these hoops, and it's even more complicated on the the M1 Macs that we have. It's a couple of restarts between these things. And again, I get the Mac should be more secure, and there's lots of things that aren't good in the history of macOS in terms of that sort of stuff, right? Like kernel extensions, but Rogue Amoeba is a well-known trusted developer and its apps are the building blocks of a lot of people's professional workflows. And Big Sur just about broke them and they spent all summer getting them working again. And that sort of hoop jumping, I just, I don't know who it serves. And I think that there can be a way where you can get rid of things like kernel extensions, you know, promote them to the user space like they announced now two years ago, but still allowing things like this audio capture engine software by Rogue Amoeba to function without having to set, tell your Mac, hey, I want you to boot up in a less secure mode. Because that's like a really scary sentence. And I think that Apple, if I had one big complaint about their security moves in the last couple of years is that so much of the language around it scares customers out of things that aren't scary. And that really bugs me. Yeah. And I do think like taking a year off, you know, say, look, we're just going to do maintenance and updates for all of 2021. And then, you know, when we get to mid-year 2022, we'll have our next big update. I think that also has a benefit for the developers and you and I are, you know, we know a lot of these guys that are making the software and they have been through the ringer with the transition to 64 bit and then the transition to Apple Silicon and an entirely new user interface. They could use another year to polish their apps as well. And I just think there's a lot of good reasons to do it. And 
Um, I'm not aware of a feature that I would want so badly that I'd be, you know, would want that more than a year of polish. So we, we talked Mac software, um, over on iPad, I would kind of make the same argument I'm making for a long time that, um, Steven was talking earlier about his iPad. And I do think that, you know, they need to continue to work on iPad software. It shouldn't be a stunt to use an iPad full time, you know, and it still kind of feels like that. And, I was thinking about, I mean, the iPad's 10 years old. When the Mac was 10 years old, a lot of the stuff we're complaining about on iPad was already on the Mac. And it's just, you know, it needs to happen. And I have so much respect for guys like Federico who are pulling this stuff off and they've got all kinds of cool tricks they've figured out. But, you know, I I have emails from listeners all the time who say, yeah, I tried to do an iPad as a laptop replacement and it just didn't work for me. And they always hit some friction point when I email them back. Sometimes it's something that they could have solved, but they just never got to it. And sometimes it's something that they just couldn't have solved, like recording two pieces of audio at the same time. But the um, But there's always these friction points. And I feel like, come on, man, it's been long enough. Get that figured out. On one hand, I don't, envy Apple because they're in the situation of they don't they don't want to or even need to just make the iPad the, the Mac, right? They don't need to copy and paste all the Mac features directly onto the iPad. As they're doing that, they reimagine them, right? So the multitasking, yeah, there's multitasking on the Mac, but it's different on the iPad or files versus Finder. My problem is they're doing that way too slowly. And for people who really rely on things that make the Mac the Mac, a lot of those iPad reinterpretations of those ideas just aren't powerful enough. Now, for someone who is not a power user on the Mac or even on Windows, who the iPad is their first computer or their only computer, Apple's trying to balance that out, right, by making it more powerful and complicated for me and you but still just as easy to use for someone who it's going to be their only computer and maybe their first computer. And that's really like, those are opposite ends of the complexity spectrum. And I don't, I don't envy Apple trying to solve that, but at the same time, Apple's full of really smart people. And if anyone should be able to solve it, it's them. Yeah, I agree. And like I would, you talked about the keyboard and mouse support that they put in, and this is a great example of how to do it right. You know, they reimagined it for the device and I don't want, you know, my rant earlier was not saying I want it to look like a Mac, but I want it to have the functionality of a Mac. I want the things that you do on your Mac that you can do it on an iPad and maybe it's a different way you do it, but um, it's still there and there's just a, there's still holes and it just feels like it's been too long where earlier I was arguing, don't, you know, put the pedal down on new features for Mac OS. I think they should be putting the pedal down on getting these friction points resolved on iPad OS. It's too good of a device not to have those functions. Yeah. I think that's been true for a long time. The hardware is held back by the software. And that's the thing. I mean, we see how powerful it is and we want to use it for everything and it just doesn't. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I, I, you talk about a broken record, man. I, I've been whining about this way too long. <laughs> iPhone OS. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I'm really happy with where 
iOS 14 is. And I think that things like the inclusion of widgets and the app library are really great. I think that moving forward, what I want to see is, is A, those things come to iPadOS, but two, just increased ability to customize, right? So let me maybe build my own folders in the app library, or let me just ignore the folders and just have an alphabetical list. Let me do more with widgets. And why am I still stuck having icons flow from the top left to bottom right? I mean, all of that stuff really can be more flexible. So I hope Apple keeps going down that road. So we've got a segment in the outline about hardware changes we'd like in 2021. And I'll tell you, dear listener, reading it, Feels like Steven was exercising some demons. Oh, yeah. I feel like you have a lot on your mind here, Steven. Hardware. All right. So I did mention an increased focus on value. You know, Apple for a long time, older equals cheaper. But in more recent times, we've seen that new stuff can be cheaper as well. So keep doing that, Apple. I think that's great. Uh, The external display situation at Apple is abysmal. The XDR is great and beautiful. It's way too expensive. It's out of reach of basically everybody. And, and more than most people need. I mean, that's oh, it's yeah. not just too expensive. It's like, it's like, you know, when you need a Chevy, it's giving you a Cadillac. You don't need that. Right. I don't need everything this display can do. Um, and what really kills me is like, you have a 5K display. It's right there in the iMac. Uh, but they're, they seem unwilling to do it uh, to this point. And I really hope that changes for a bunch of reasons. One, I think that it's a really missed opportunity in 2020 that a bunch of Mac people were working at home all of a sudden and needed to buy an external display and Apple didn't have one for them. Yeah. Which yeah. is a shame. Um, and I think things like the Mac Mini and you know the Mac, the Mac Pro even notebook users, they can all benefit from this. And it just, it blows my mind that Apple doesn't have an affordable option. Yeah, and it's big enough that they could put like a video conferencing camera in it that doesn't suck, you know? I mean, on the laptops, you only have like a quarter of an inch to work with, but on a big screen, you could put an actual lens system in there and give people a better video conferencing camera. And it was really money on the table for them this year. I really wish I would, I would like to know someday why that hasn't happened yet. I mean, maybe it partially is the pandemic and they had plans, but they, they got delayed or maybe they just decided that that's not a product they need to make, but man, I I wish they did. And I wish it existed. Yeah, me too. You had also referenced the six colors article about the screenless Apple watch as a, it sounds to me almost like your pipe dream wish for 2021 i've got a pipe dream as well so yeah oh, let's oh, talk about that i'm going deeper down the pipe for my pipe dream you may not have scrolled down to see what i wrote yet but okay. um, <laughs> uh, i wrote a real special pipe dream so this is the thing i wrote for six colors a couple months ago where i argued for apple to build a, a more basic fitness tracker that had all of the fitnessy stuff from the apple watch but wasn't a watch is just, uh, you know, a bracelet, kind of like the early Fitbits didn't have screens. I think you can still buy them without screens, but yeah. just something that I could wear that would be plain and simple that would still track my steps and do all the workout stuff. It would all be driven 
through the iPhone, which I even think with like widgets would be even less painful than maybe it sounds to people. I think this would be fantastic. The, the truth is the Apple Watch does a lot of stuff I don't need and don't really use. And if I really boil down what I use my Apple Watch for, it's fitness tracking and a little bit of like calendar and weather notifications. And and honestly, I could live without the notifications if they were if there was something that I could put on my wrist and it tracked on my fitness stuff and did all the same fitness stuff the Apple Watch did. And then I could also wear uh, my traditional watch or no watch at all. And Apple doesn't need to do this because the Apple Watch is absolutely crushing the wearables market. Like there really is not a smartwatch market. There's just the Apple Watch market, just like the iPad crushed all of their tablets. Yeah. But there's still a ton of people who don't want or need a smartwatch, but who would benefit and would enjoy the fitness stuff that Apple offers. And I think it jives well with what we've seen from them, like Apple Fitness Plus and other things, trying to make these things more accessible. Um, I would be all over this product. And this product would mean the end of the Apple Watch for me, I think. Yeah, and that's probably why it will never exist. Yeah. <laughs> because this is this sounds to me like a $99 product, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure they're ever going to make it. But, you know, the flip side is I do feel like Apple feels like a they feel like part of the reason they're making the world better is fitness. And this certainly would get them to a broader, you know, base of people, you know, I could also see them using it to help sell the Apple, you know, what's the exercise program called uh, fitness, fitness plus. plus. Yeah. I could see it helping them to get people into that. So I, you know, maybe, I mean, I could see reasons why they'd make it, but fundamentally it's like, are you going to spend money developing a product that's going to cannibalize your more expensive product? It's hard. It's a hard sell, I would imagine, for the spreadsheet yeah. guys. Yeah, sign me up though. Yeah, <laughs> I think that in 2021 we're going to see the other penny drop on the iPad Pro. Um, we got a, a, such a superior iPad Air this year, and I've had several friends asking me about it, and I keep telling them, "Don't buy the Pro, just buy the Air. It's a great, you know, you have to have a real good reason to buy an iPad Pro at this point." Because the delta, the difference between where the iPad Air has risen to and where the iPad Pro is above it is pretty small at this point. Um, so I would think that in 2021, Apple's aware of that. And we're going to see a new iPad Pro that maybe uses new screen technology and just really raises the bar. And um, I think that's going to be exciting for people who like iPad. I think so too. Uh, I think you're right that it's really going to jump out ahead of where the iPad Air landed in uh, in 2020. Yeah, and that that's kind of like the rising tide raises all vessels or I forget the saying, mm -hmm. but you know, the way the technology is lifting the AI the, the standard entry level iPad just means the iPad Pro is is going to have to make a big jump and that's going to be very exciting if you use iPads. Maybe maybe this will be the year that we get a bunch of software improvements and and hardware to match it and Maybe next year you'll you'll be think, rethinking your iPad Pro strategy. You just, I mean, I I feel like that's on the table this year. I also think that um, uh, I'd like to see Apple Silicon Max do more than put the Apple Silicon in existing hardware. You know, um, I feel like this would be a great year to release some Macs that take that even further blur the line with the mobile products. Like, why not put a cellular radio in a Mac? 
-hmm. And why not have face ID? So when you lift the screen, it just turns on. And all this stuff exists already on iPhone and iPad. And you're using Apple Silicon, which already does all that stuff. You just need a way, you know, figure out a way to to integrate it. I mean, even Touch ID on a laptop, it seems, I mean, if I'm going to put an iPhone app on my laptop, I should be able to touch it and manipulate it in the user interface that it was designed for. So um, maybe this is the year that we see, you know, the the other shoe to drop on this stuff and we get some really cool Mac uh, improvements. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, so far what we've seen from the transition is this is the Intel MacBook Air that you knew and mostly loved, but now it's just way better. And on the outside, it's the same computer and side by side, you can't tell the difference. And that makes sense when starting a transition. But I think I do agree there's real room for bringing these features that make iPads and iPhones so great, bringing them to the Mac. Uh, And I, I hope that we do see that. You know, I'm a, I'm not as optimistic as you are about it being 2021. I think it may be a little bit further down the road, but I really hope that that day is coming where the Face ID and Touch and even things, um, you know, that maybe are off in the distance that we don't know about yet. I mean, how great would it be if there's some new sc- screen technology that it comes to the MacBook Air and the iPad at the same time, even? I yeah. think Apple now has the power to do that. And I hope that they exercise that power. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, the iPad Pro gets really good and the software improves and the 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 laptops get some of the mobile tech that's already in the iPad and iPhone. And people really have a choice. You know, I mean, if you want to be an iPad power user, you can. If you want to be a Mac power user, it just got better. And I think that's absolutely in Apple's interest. I don't think they have to choose one or the over the other. Yeah. You had one more here about the iPad mini. Yeah. While the iPad Pro has not seen much use as far as a work machine, I did pick up an iPad mini in 2020, and I absolutely love it for reading. In the evenings, reading web articles I've saved, uh, reading books on it. Um, I really like that little form factor, and boy, I would love to see it gain flat sides and the cool Touch ID sensor from the from the iPad Air. I think that'd be a fantastic little device. Yeah, the current hardware feels like something from days gone past. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it here on my desk actually. And you look over, and it's like, is that my iPad Mini from 2012? I can't. I can't tell. Yeah, it just really it hasn't evolved, and um, yeah, maybe this year. We heard rumors of that actually earlier. Maybe that's one of the things that you know was a victim of COVID. It, it could be, you know, but at the same time, the no adjective iPad iPad didn't really get a design change too. And I kind of view those as close siblings. So I don't know, hopefully soon. I added a section of the outline called pipe dreams. And the idea is let's forget about being logical. What's the one product you want Apple to release more than anything in 2021. And this is a good one. If you guys have pipe dreams, share them on the forum. Cause I, I'd love to read them. But I have something in mind, and I think Stephen does too. I'm I'm reading yours now, and I'm like, oh, brother. Oh, it's not happening. You said pipe dream. All right. Well, share your pipe dream, Stephen. Sweet, sweet pipe dream. I'm not, this is not a prediction in any way, but I bought a 2019 Mac Pro, and I love it. And I plan on using it as long as Apple supports OS releases on Intel. But 
if Apple were to somehow have a product that I could transform my 2019 Mac Pro with a 12-core Intel Xeon in it to a Mac Pro with an ARM processor in it, I'd sign up for that. That would be a product I would buy and upgrade my existing Intel Mac Pro to an Apple Silicon Mac Pro. That's not going to be a thing that's possible, but it would be sweet. I, I was thinking about the logistics of it. Like, I guess you could put an ARM Mac on a card, but how would you boot from a card, right? Yeah, I, 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 yeah. And like, then your CPU is actually on a PCI bus and yeah. not the center of the system. And I mean, when this has been rumored online and I've read some stuff like, well, they could just make a new processor and you could drop it in. Well, the socket on the board is Intel intellectual property. I don't think Intel's going to license them all the stuff that goes into creating a socket for Apple to make a custom chip that they sell on their own for people to drop into their Mac Pro. They didn't sell, they don't sell many Mac Pros to begin with. So I think people who bought these, including me, will just ride the, ride them out and then at some point down the road, buy an ARM one. But it would be f- pretty fantastic to have the same computer run two different processor architectures. But again, pipe dream. What about an alternative pipe dream where you buy a new logic board that is ARM-based and you just literally swap the logic board? Yeah, I mean, that would be more realistic in terms of how it would be possible. And I mean, Apple could do that. Apple could also have some sort of you know, for the first six months, there's the ARM Mac Pro, you get really good trade-in value. You know, they double what it would be otherwise yeah. or something, but... That that would actually make more sense, yeah. Yeah, but what Apple's going to do is one day there'll be an ARM Mac Pro and it's the one that's for sale from here on out. Yeah, and, and they knew they were making the ARM Macs when they made the Mac Pro, yes. but there was a demand for mm-hmm. that, that Mac Pro right then, and yeah. I don't blame them for it. I think they probably did the right thing, but... Yeah, eventually it's going to be ARM. I'll probably tease you a little bit about it. I, oh, I'm everyone just going to say that up front. Yeah. You know? I mean, oh, it already has started. You know, the, a Mac Pro is faster than Apple Silicon Macs currently, but it won't be forever. And when that happens, I'll be made fun of. But it's it's met my needs yeah. so well for the last year. And uh, I hope to have many years of Mac OS support to come. I'm in no rush to replace my desktop. Yeah. And, you know, as people who like, publicly podcast and talk about this stuff we always take a hit i i'm already taking hits over my headphones so you know go for it that's how it goes um the um my pipe dream is another one that's probably unlike i think it's less unlikely than yours but it's still probably not going to happen and that is the dream for me is an imac that is stands up like an iMac and runs Mac software. And then when I tilt it down like a Microsoft Surface te- um, Surface Studio, I think they call it, you know, it's just a big 27-inch screen that I can tilt down and turn into a massive iPad and then tilt back up and turn into a Mac. And <laughs> Pipe <you> know, dream. <laughs> that is a pipe dream, I know. But take my money, Apple. I mean, honestly, would I would love that so much to be able to switch between like iPad mode for the stuff I do on iPad and then back to Mac with just a tilt. I would love to have a big 27 inch screen that I can draw on when I'm like trying to plan out, you know, things for clients or anything. I mean, there's just so much I would love about that computer and something like it exists. So 
Um, Apple can already see that somebody was able to do it, but man, Apple could do it so much better. But uh, yeah, I don't think, I think next year that'll still be on my pipe dream list. I don't think that's going to happen. It'd be, it'd be really cool though. And I mean, that even kind of opens the door to like, why can't we have Apple pencil support on the Mac, you know, whether it be something like this or look, the trackpad on my MacBook pro is humongous. Like, why can't I use an Apple pencil on that? You know, there's uh, Apple has like, sometimes I feel like Apple has this big box of puzzle pieces but it doesn't know how to put them together in interesting ways. And those of us on the outside, like, look, it's right there. Just put them together. And they they don't do it. And yeah. this sort of computer or even opening the door to other types of things, there's like so much potential in all of these pieces. Yeah. The mobile version of this would be a convertible laptop, which absolutely exists in the PC side of the yeah. fence <laughs> where it opens up, it's got a keyboard, you type on it like a, like a Mac, and then you flip the screen around and it turns into an iPad. And you know what, if I had a device like that, where I could carry it around and have two in one, I think I'd be okay with that. I know it has additional weight and, you know, there's, there are trade-offs with something like this, but I also think it's like Apple has this amazing software stack on both platforms and to have it all on one device and being able to use it the way it's meant to be used I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that would see benefit in that. And I'm sure they're like mocking some of this stuff up, but sure. I feel like they're also, you know, Apple remains pretty conservative about things. And like, I don't think they're, they're going to be early to the game with something that's, that's mind bending like that. But I, man, I wish they would. Mm-hmm. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by woven. Use the link in our show notes to Get free trial for 21 days. We all just survived 2020, and staying organized and tracking our calendar is one of the most important skill sets that we've been working on as we, we try to get through. Software can help you with this, and Woven is a great calendar app worth trying to do that. Woven syncs all of your calendars in one place, including your Google, G Suite, and Microsoft 365 accounts, so you can see all of your time, both personal and professional. Woven builds scheduling links directly into your calendar, so you can use one-off scheduling links. You can quickly time block your week using Woven's smart templates, so you can plan your perfect week. Woven also has built-in analytics, so you can easily calculate where you spend your time, so you can make time for what matters most. The whole idea of week planning through a calendar app is something that I really jumped on board with in 2020, and Woven's got that built in. You really need to check this out, take control of your calendar, improve your workflows, and as a listener of this show, you can try Woven free for 21 days. Go to woven.com or click the link in the show notes to check it out. That's woven, W-O-V-E-N.com. And our thanks to Woven for their support of the Mac Power users and all of FM. I think a big story of 2021 is going to be the continued rollout of Apple Silicon. We've seen the first three machines. There's a lot more to come. Apple said it would be about a two-year cycle to your process. And so that means we're going to see something next year. And I've kind of been thinking about these in, in four different tiers of machines, if you will. I was trying to sit down and think, okay, like what... We have the MacBook Air and the entry-level MacBook Pro and the Mac Mini, and they all are effectively the same computer 
two half fans, but effectively the same computer, right? The same M1 at the heart of them. Yeah. I think we move up a tier to what I'm calling tier two. I don't know if this would be the M2 or the M1X. I mean, who knows about the branding, but I think it's a pretty safe bet that we would see the next level up, maybe even early next year of the four port 13 inch MacBook Pro, the small iMac, uh, maybe a higher end Mac mini kind of one, you know, one step up. So more powerful, higher Ram ceilings four Thunderbolt ports instead of just two, which is a limitation of the M1, it seems like. And then, you know, up from there, 16-inch MacBook Pro, 27-inch iMac, and then whatever they're doing with the iMac Pro and Mac Pro at the end. So I think we're going to just continue to step through this process, getting, you know, moving higher and higher up the product line as we go. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, and this is probably, I don't know if Apple's going to do this or not, but like, let's set the M1 as the starting point. And let's start set the ending point as whatever the next chip is that goes into the MacBook Air. You know, when they update the M1, let's call that the M2. You know? Okay. And I get that that may not be how they actually do it, but it makes it easier. And then you say, well, how many flavors of M1 are there? You know, you've got these different tiers of computers that you're looking at. We The entry tier just got covered by the M1. But there are tiers of the MacBook Pro that have not been covered yet. You know, the upper level 13 inch and the 16 inch, there is not an M class chip for them or an Apple Silicon chip. So I feel like that is like the next tier to drop, you know, what is it? So we'll call that M one X, you know, I think that also, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. I think that also that M one X probably finds its way into an entry level iMac. Yeah. I mean, right now, if you look at the way it is on the Intel machines, there's a lot of overlap between the higher end MacBook Pros and the iMacs, right? They use very similar parts in a lot of cases or are very similar performance wise. And so I think we'll see that continue, if not even become more true, where, you know, maybe the high end 13, the 16, and the small iMac are all basically the same processor, also the same, you know, more or less the same machine in different form factors. I don't think Apple wants to get in a situation where they're making five or six SKUs of a processor for machines that are all just slightly different from each other. I think we will see a consolidation and a simplification of those options. Yeah, I I totally agree. Like an entry level iMac is going to perform like an upper level MacBook Pro or, or at least a medium level MacBook Pro. Right. Um, so that's like, so we've got M1, M1X. So then then after that, you've got the, the third tier, which would be the M, we'll call it M1Y. And that's the one that's I'm curious about. Like, does the 16-inch MacBook Pro get something different than an M1X? Does it get an M1Y? Or is does that something that goes in the bigger iMac? Or is that an iMac Pro? What, what do you think about, I mean, where does tier three land? Yeah, I think it's, you know, higher SKUs of the 16-inch MacBook Pro and then probably the 27-inch iMac. I personally still think the iMac Pro is one and done. I don't, I just don't see at this point the iMac Pro sticking around if Apple really can crank these Apple Silicon chips up 
Um, but then again, that makes the Mac Pro sort of maybe on its own and maybe they can't do that for financial reasons or whatever. So the iMac Pro sticks around to make it more cost effective to build the Mac Pro. I don't know. But I think, you know, there'll be overlap for sure on maybe the highest tier 16 inch MacBook Pro and a 27 inch iMac. And we've even seen that now in the Intel era. The iMac Pro now is coming up on four years old, right? It came out in 2017. Yeah. And the current Intel 27 inch iMac, you know, with 5K display is faster than the iMac Pro under certain circumstances. It's a really great machine. And so I think Apple's kind of got to figure out what the high end of the iMac line looks like and go from there. Yeah. I mean, and, and historically, we know that they originally designed the iMac Pro to be the top of the line. Right. That they had decided the Mac Pro was not going to come back, that they were done with the Mac Pro, and that you, if you wanted a high-end Mac, you bought an iMac Pro. And then they changed their mind after that and brought the Mac Pro back. So it's an, the iMac Pro is an anomaly in certain ways. The other thing we know is that these Apple Silicon Macs are just blinding fast. And that the, you know, let's what we're calling the, you know, M1Y, that third tier of the M1 is going to be blinding fast. I mean, it's just going to, it's just true. Mm -hmm. So I could really make the case that the iMac Pro doesn't need to continue, that you get the upper end chip in an iMac and that's fast enough for someone that would have bought an iMac Pro a few years ago. Yeah, no, you're right. And so they've got a sort all that out. You know, my my guess is that after we see the next round of machines, trying to estimate what happens to the high end will be a little bit easier. Except for the Mac Pro, which <laughs> I think nobody knows. And we'll yeah. call that the M1Z, the fourth tier, right? Yeah. Are they going to, and does that even happen in the M1 level or do they wait till they get to M2 to, to address the, the Mac Pro? I could see them waiting uh, till the, you know, till then. Yeah. But um, it, it feels to me like that's the one where, who the heck knows what they're going to do for that? I mm -hmm. mean, I mean, there's been some leaks and rumors, but I don't think anybody, I'm not even sure Apple knows what the plan is there. It'll definitely be last. And a big thing with the Mac Pro and even the high-end iMacs is discrete graphics. So far, what we've seen is graphics on package. So we've seen integrated graphics with the M1 currently at least. Big Sur on Apple Silicon doesn't ship with any support for any third-party GPUs. Now, none of the machines they have shipped have need it third-party yeah. GPUs. So, like, is that a chicken and egg? I don't know. But what does that what does that look like as far as you know high-end machine that needs a lot of GPU performance and especially something like the Mac Pro where a user can upgrade it over time. Is Apple going to make, you know, MPX modules that have Apple GPUs in them instead of using AMD ones? Uh, what about RAM that you can upgrade later or just have vast quantities of memory? Can't do all that on die at some point. So a lot of questions around the high end that we just don't know the answers to yet. Yeah, it, it is uh, interesting times. And what they said was within two years, they would have it the Apple Silicon across the line. And 
It's not clear. I mean, if I put on my lawyer hat, I could say it's from two years from the release of these M1 Macs, or you could say it's two years from uh, the announcement. I'm not sure which one you would say. But either way, that's going to go by fast, <laughs> you know? Uh, another question in my mind is, what is the upgrade cycle from M1 to M2? I mean, it doesn't need to be yearly. Mm-mm. It could be every two years. Like this, these new M1s may be at this level for two years. Yeah. I mean, I think it totally could be a situation where it's 18 or 24 months and maybe halfway through they tweak, you know, okay, hey, yes, now you can get it with more RAM or a bigger solid state drive or they drop the price, you know, some minor revision. But the, I mean, we talk about this with iPhones in particular. The headroom is so ridiculous on a new iPhone that it is still fast three, four years down the road, right? I mean, how many people out there are still running iPhone 6S, 7, 8 that are still very performant and still get the job done? I think that's even more true on the Apple Silicon Macs. And so I don't think at the end of two years, there'll be people who are frustrated because they just want to buy something new or they're ready for an upgrade, don't want to buy something old, and then it'd be replaced in two months. But I don't think it's going to be a situation of, man, this M1 MacBook Air is really underperforming and we really need Apple to revise it. There's so much headroom now. I think they have a longer shelf life just right out of the gate. Yeah. So if we take that assumption that M2, as we're defining on this show, is two years away, that gives them two years to focus on making the faster core M1 for all the rest of the line. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I think just like we've been talking about the show, I think it's going to roll out in that order. You know, we're going to get MacBook Pros and maybe a low end iMac next, and then we'll get a faster iMac after that. And then the big questions about the Mac Pro will get answered. Yeah, I do hope that when they get to the Mac Pro, that they're able to keep with the original vision of an expandable computer. That you know, like where we've got RAM essentially on die now, and and video on 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 the chip that with the mac pro they figure out a way to let people upgrade those things and do all the mac pro things people like to do when they buy a mac pro Mm -hmm. who knows who knows that's what makes it so exciting honestly Uh, i'm having so much fun talking about this and writing about it and thinking about it because it's just it really feels like the sky's the limit right now I, i mean the mac for so long felt so stagnant like nothing was happening the keyboards don't even work on the damn things, you know? And it's like, now all of a sudden it's like, what, it's like, wh- how are they going to blow our minds next? And that kind of gets to the next point about windows. I mean, we talked about in the weeks leading up to the release of M1 Mac, I, t- I was telling people go out and buy an Intel Mac right now. If you need to run windows, cause I don't think you're ever going to get windows on these M1 Macs. I mean, it's just, it's not an x86 architecture. And, you know, what Microsoft doesn't even sell Windows for ARM. They make it, but they don't sell it. And all of a sudden, in the last two weeks, we've had all this progress. You know, Parallels is now shipping a technical build that can run ARM for Windows on a Mac. Um, Apple, I'm sorry, Microsoft has a way to download it, but they're not selling it yet. But it seems to me like it's only a question of time before they start selling it. I mean, we could have Windows easily running on these Apple Silicon Macs in in 2021 i think now it seems like it's almost more likely than not and i really flipped quickly that coming (laughs) there is a a report out about 10 days ago that microsoft is preparing (laughs) to develop their own arm-based processors for 
their server products, but also for their Surface devices, laptop, you know, Surface PCs, sure. all that stuff. And if Apple's going to do that um, and Microsoft's going to follow them, then it just, I think it makes sense that A, Windows for ARM will get much better because right now it's not fantastic. And it will also mean that running Windows on Apple Silicon should be uh, much simpler and much more commonplace. So I agree with you. I think this totally flipped and I think this is coming definitely next year. I feel pretty, I feel pretty good about it. Now there, there's a Chinese um, parable about the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the second best time to plant a tree is today. Hmm. And I feel like that's windows with their, or Microsoft with their arm, you know, development, they realize, you know, this is where it should be. But Apple's not going to stand still. And that raises a whole nother question. Assuming Windows for ARM gets to parity with x86 Windows, which I think is inevitable. It's not there yet, but I think it's on the way already. And how do companies like Dell and just traditional x86, you know, laptop manufacturers compete with Apple? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to be in a cubicle and your battery is going to die every two hours. And the guy next to you is going to have a computer that he never seems to plug in, you know, and his computer runs faster than yours and it's running the same windows as yours. And it costs the same amount as yours. I just don't even, I feel like, you know, one of the reasons I thought that windows would never come over to Apple Silicon Mac is because it's just going to completely hose over Apple's hardware partners. You know, you know, when Microsoft has this huge business with Dell, how can they say, oh, yeah, and by the way, we're putting our operating system on this other computer that's way better than yours. Mm -hmm. And you have no hope of it because they're making their own proprietary chips and you don't get them. Yeah. I mean, I it's just such a, the whole thing is baffling to me, but it seems like it's happening. It, it does. And it is no bueno for Intel that they have everything to lose here. And I think we're, I think we're watching it happen before our very eyes. Yeah. And I think a bunch of people, it's not sinking in for a lot of people yet, you know? Yeah. But it's happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, it's crazy. All right. Let's talk about 2021 with the Mac power users. Um, okay. Last year I went back and listened. We had talked about all the live events we were going to do in 2020. <laughs> that didn't happen. But you know what? Those plans are still on the books, gang. I want to get in front of a live audience again as soon as we can. Me too. I really felt, I don't know if I shared it in that episode or not, but I really felt burned out on travel after 2019. I had something like two dozen flights in 2019. I mean, I was all over the country, did a bunch of live shows. But after a year at home, I've really come to miss them. And I agree with you. I want to take MPU out and do a live show. It will not be in Chicago because that's the only place we've been. Got to go somewhere else. Um, but uh, yeah, we want to get back out um, doing live shows, doing meetups, hanging out with y'all because every time we get to do that, it's just so much fun. And it's just great to like be in a room with a bunch of nerdy people talking about this stuff. Uh, I really enjoy it and I've really missed it this year. Yeah, me too. At least one live event. Let's let's plan on it. Sounds good. And even if Apple doesn't do WWDC, we'll go to some other cities. You know, I mean, it's it's time to hit the road. Um, it's probably going to be a while still. I mean, as we record this, we're still dealing with this pandemic. The mm -hmm. vaccine is approved, but not widely distributed. And 
but you know, I have this hope that at the end of the next year, um, things won't be so dire and that we'll be able to travel again and, and, and hang out. Cause I really do miss seeing listeners. Um, another thing we want to do heading in, and this is always the case, but I really want to double down on it in 2021 is I want more guests from a broader range of life. And if you're out there doing something really weird with your Apple technology, but that would be a fun story to tell, let us know. And one of the things we're going to do in format changes this year, is sometimes we hear from guests that have something really cool, but it's not necessarily a whole show's worth of content. We may be doing some shows where we, we have several guests, you know, we're, we're interested. So consider this the call out. Nothing's too weird. Let us know. Just because you emails doesn't mean that we promise we're going to put you on the show, but we can't put you on the show if we never hear from you. So, so send us an email. Do it. Yeah. I mean, we've had some really great opportunities to talk to some really interesting people um, in the two years that I've been on the show. And those are always fun to do because it's, I mean, how often do you get to talk to somebody about how you manage stuff inside a museum or on a farm or, you know, whatever the case may be. And yeah, I want to get, I want to get back to those. I think of course, in 2021, as we just mentioned earlier, this Silicon story, this Apple Silicon story is going to evolve a lot. It's going to be really fun. Boy, we, we really appreciated Apple bringing us in the circle a little bit this year. We got to you know, talk to them and, and see how things were going. But I think it's going to be, I mean, I feel like they're just getting started with the M1. And it is truly exciting for people who are excited, you know, who like to use the Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. Yeah. You know, one thing we haven't talked really anything about yet is these iOS and iPad iPad OS apps showing up on the Mac. And I don't think it's been enough time for us to really understand what doors that opens. But I think throughout 21, we're going to see where this is really headed. And, and I hope that we can dive into some of that stuff as the ground settles a little bit. And I also think workflows are going to change a great deal with these new options. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're talking in the more power users today about my struggle between iPad and I, I and Mac. Now that you know the ground has moved, um, I think a lot of people are going through that same thing, and that's going to be a recurring theme. And I look forward to talking about guests and our own experiences as we sort that stuff out over the next year. Um, I think that in addition to the Mac, I think. 2021 may be a banner year for iPad. I don't have anything to prove that, but I feel like the the extraordinary improvement to the iPad Air, the inevitable improvement to the iPad Pro, I just feel like Apple's got some stuff up its sleeve this year, and iPad may have a really good year too. So I'm looking forward to all that stuff. In closing, I wanted to just talk a little bit about, I just wanted to thank the audience, honestly. Uh, 2020 was a strange year for all of us. And I know some of the listeners really suffered. I've heard emails and talked to some of you that went through a lot of struggles this year. I know a lot of you are still dealing with struggles and things that are beyond your control and yet causing you a lot of grief. And I'll tell you, Stephen and I talked early when this pandemic started And we want Mac power users to be a place you can come to just forget about that stuff and enjoy talking to some nerds and learn a little bit and maybe get a little better at using your stuff, but also just have a respite from all that. And um, that was our goal this year. I hope we delivered. And I can tell you that uh, for me personally, um, you know, I dealt with some stuff this year too. And being able to 
come into this show and record it every week was was just therapy for me as well. Um, one of the things that happened this year was we we lost some sponsors. Some of them went out of business. Some of them just couldn't afford to do podcast advertising anymore. A bunch of listeners stepped right in. They went over to Relay FM slash MP slash join. They joined for this bonus episodes we've been doing. And and I don't expect everybody to do that. I get it. But you know, if you want to, it's there for you. And boy, we sure appreciate the way everybody stepped up. Yeah, the the more power users version of the show has been a lot of fun to do. We're doing extra content every week. And that is something that I've got um, a lot of plans for in 2021. We want to continue to grow that. Um, and the the best part is that if you join and support Mac power users, you also get a bunch of other perks through Relay FM. So um, if you haven't joined and you want to support the show, we would love to have you. Yeah. But, you know, if times are tough right now, look, you're still getting Mac powers. We always make sure the most important content gets into the main show feed and it's yes. there for you. And we sure uh, enjoy the privilege of making this show. And as we just got to the end of the year, I thought I just wanted to say thank you to everybody listening. And um, we intend to make this show as long as you'll keep listening. And uh, we're looking forward to next year. Thanks to our sponsors, Smile, Pingdom, and Woven. We'll see you next week.